Hey, Blazer fans, we are talking with Caitlin Cooper today. Caitlin is a writer and editor for Indie Cornrows, which is the SB Nation site all about the Indiana Pacers. Dan and I are going to try to introduce a little bit of uh, sort of team-specific content for people who want to go a little bit deeper on some of our upcoming opponents. So we're going to do that with the Pacers today. The Blazers are getting ready to take on the Pacers on Thursday, January 18th. And we want to get to know the other team a little bit and find out a little bit more about what to expect this matchup. So, Caitlin, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you today. Hey, I'm glad to be on. Awesome. Well, so you had a big offseason over there in Indianapolis. How's that like? Team ad- <laughs> yeah, it sounds it was it felt a little familiar to some of us. Um, how's the team adapted to the big changes that occurred over the summer? Well, I think You know, it's pretty easy when, because of what Paul George did, what he did, instead of the Pacers getting a ghost written letter and like the players tribune, (laughs) it's a little bit easier to accept it when they got Oladipo, who looks like he's going to be having his first trip to the all-star game here in a couple of weeks. So I think, I think the adjustment has been fairly smooth because overall, like Victor Oladipo's just endeared himself, I think, to the city in a way that maybe Paul George never really did. He kind of wore his affinity for Los Angeles on his sleeve. Even, you know, he competed as best he could for the Pacers, but you always knew that there was that longing that, you know, he wanted to be in LA. And with Victor, he already has his signature celebration. He calls this place home. He played his college basketball in Indiana. So I think the adjustment period was, was pretty quick. So how has the the basketball changed now? Well, I think overall, like when, especially just Victor himself, that they started out, they were playing pretty quick, the pace. I mean, their very first game of the year was historically fast. They had like 116 possessions in that game against the Nets. <laughs> and so go, since go, then, go. though, they've, they've, they've slowed down. They're down, I think the last I looked, they're about at 17th in pace. But Victor himself is is like a one man wrecking crew in transition. And I think just differences just between him and Paul George, Victor's replaced his scoring prowess. Like he's had, he scored 15 or more points in every game, but two. So in that regard, he's almost been a little bit more consistent than Paul George, but defensively they would use Paul George. Like you guys would, might even remember this. They would even, they'll put him on Damian, anyone from Damian Lillard to LeBron James and be like, Oh, Paul George, go be a stopper. And with Victor, They'll put Boyan Bogdanovich and hope that he can kind of hold his head above water against the other team's best defender just because Victor's so good at playing in the gaps and roaming passing lanes. And the Pacers are at their best when they're scoring points off turnovers. So that's definitely something you want to look for when they play the Blazers. Dan, I know that you're a big fan of Oladipo. Do you have any specific questions you want to ask about how things are going with him? Yeah, I mean, uh, Oladipo's been quietly one of my favorite guys in the league, and I, I always thought that, like another Indiana product in, in Noah Vonley, it's it was about being in the right place at the right time and kind of having it all come together. What is it about the Pacers that has, that has unlocked what you know two previous coaches and, and staffs couldn't couldn't unlock with him? Right, I think the biggest difference maybe, you know, a lot of people talk about Russell Westbrook and Russell was averaging over 90 touches last year. And now he plays next to Darren Collison, who's used to sliding off ball and Darren's at, you know, right around 70 touches. So with the ball in Victor's hands more, he, he can get to the rim. He can draw free throws. And and that's been a big part of it. But I also think even ignoring the personnel changes, just like 
looking at Victor. He's slimmed down. He's quicker. Like his overall body transformation, just his control of his athleticism. Like anytime he gets in a dribble handoff situation, kind of his signature move is going between the legs and then taking a step back jumper. And he's just so smooth at that. I mean, there's been opponents. Like I talked about it when they played Oklahoma city, Andre Robertson was checking him and he would consistently have to go under screens to stay in front of him. And Victor with that much space was still able to beat him to the rim. And that's, you know, an all caliber, all defensive player. So it, it's just been really fun to watch his overall development versus where he's been in his last two stops and how he's kind of put it all together. So for, for Portland fans that, that aren't aware, um, the Pacers head coach is former trailblazers head coach, Nate McMillan. Um, I know the Pacers right, are, are right. Small, a small market like Portland. And if you're not paying attention to these things, they kind of get glanced over. And something we were talking about before we started recording, uh, Mike Prada, also an SB Nation guy, has taken to calling um, the Pacers in, or the, the Blazers East. And we're not talking about the current iteration of the Blazers. We're talking about a previous iteration of the Blazers. What are the comparisons that you see, I mean, outside of the fact that Nate McMillan is there, uh, Kevin Pritchard is there, Chad Buchanan is there. Um, the, the play style and the, the roster formation, like what are the things that, 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 that you're noticing that kind of harken back to the, the, the same kind of the style that the previous Blazers generation had? Right. I mean, I think when you look back at a lot of Nate McMillan's teams with last season as first with the Pacers kind of being an outlier there, the offense was generally pretty good, but they never really played fast. And that's kind of holding true again this year. They started out really fast. Like I mentioned earlier, and now they're playing slower, but their half court offense overall has, has been an improvement over when Frank Vogel was here, here at the beginning of this half of the season. And, you know, just miles Turner being a comparison to LaMarcus miles still as he's kind of had stagnant year over year growth this year, as far as being able to take advantage over smaller players in the post, which isn't really a direct comparison to LaMarcus, but just being two young bigs who could shoot the ball out of Texas. A lot of people make those comparisons. And then, you know, some people have kind of made some comparisons to Victor and Brandon Roy and, you know, Brandon was more about, I mean, and you guys might differ on this. Obviously you watched him a lot more than I did, but he was really what he excelled at was kind of setting his own pace and being able to create space for himself. And while Victor's kind of more of a turbo putting the jets on, you can see some development with Victor and how he's using, like I mentioned his handle just to create space against opponents and some of his really almost absurd finishes he's had at the rim. You could practically have a power rankings of some of the, just the layup finishes he has. So yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of comparisons there with how many people that were once in Portland are now in Indiana. I think I made a joke over the summer that eventually maybe they'll hire Greg Oden as some sort of player <laughs> development coach. <laughs> he's, oh, it hurts. He's, he's also an Indiana native. Is he not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the ties between Indiana and, and the Trailblazers here are going pretty deep. And, you know, you're spot on. You, got, you, you honestly put a huge smile on my face when you described Brandon Roy's game, um, the, the ability to, to dictate pace and tempo within the half court and, and create space. And that's, that's obviously, honestly, the, the perfect way to describe Brandon Roy, in my opinion. You, you touched on, on Miles Turner and something I want to ask about, particularly to this matchup. When I look at Miles Turner's box score, both his, his traditional and his advanced numbers, everything about him screams like he should be doing more. Like when I when I look at his stats, he's he's putting up you know fourteen and seven basically. Um, his shooting looks good. His, the the time on the court looks good. But when I look at his attempts, um, I mean him Sabonis, 
Darren Collison, Bogdan are all right around the same spot, and, and Thaddeus Young. In the hierarchy of the team, should Turner be featuring more? Should he be that clear-cut number two guy, or are they a better team when they kind of do this by committee? Right, that, that's been a real sticking point around Pacers Twitter, I think, because um, it, like in the fourth quarter, there are certain frozen fourth quarters where he kind of gets frozen out. I think he has over, over 10 fourth quarters where he hasn't even attempted more than two shots. And his touches, like, there's 15 starting centers out having more touches per game than him. Some of it's a function of the offense because Nate McMillan runs so much heavy pick and roll offense, spread pick and roll. And his mid range shot is so important to that. I think he's right now the top mid range shooter in the NBA per, I forget how many attempts, but it's so important to that because, because opponents go out to guard him. That's how they generate a lot of their corner three. So to a certain extent, they've pigeonholed him a little bit as a jump shooter, but then there's also the part where he on his own part, his growth kind of stagnated over the summer where I'm not sure how comfortable they really feel all the time throwing it to him in the post. Like I said before, because he tends to settle for turnaround jump shots predominantly over his right shoulder, even when he gets switched on to guys like James Harden. So they're like his scoring arsenal hasn't diversified enough where I'm not quite sure they're ready to give him the ball more, but for the overall trajectory of the team, I think most people hope that he would be touching the ball more than he is right now. And that's a little bit of a matter of concern, as you mentioned. So one of the questions I have is, are what are sort of some of the hallmarks of this new team that we as Blazer fans can keep an eye on uh, when these two teams match up? Right. I think definitely at the beginning of the game, Watch to see how active the Pacers are on defense. And what I mean by active is how much are they hounding the passing lanes? Are they denying dribble? Like, how, are they denying dribble handoff passes? Because overall, they're not a good defensive team. Like, they allow opponents to shoot a lot of three-point attempts, and they're near the bottom in points in the paint. But when they're when they're in those passing lanes and they can force turnovers, like I talked about, that's that's when they're at their best. Because they're like two and twelve. I looked up this number today. They're two and twelve when their opponent when they don't outscore their opponent and points off turnover. So it's not a guarantee hmm. that they'll win when they do that, but it's, it's a pretty close to guarantee that they're going to be in trouble if they don't. And the first time these teams met up Portland outscored them 23 to 10 in that, and that battle and miles Turner was out in that game. So I think another thing that you definitely want to watch is the pick and roll coverage because the Pacers aren't really good at defending the role man, which means Nurkic could have a pretty decent game depending upon how they defend Lillard. And, you know, Lillard's so good at hitting those pull-up threes off the dribble. So Miles is probably going to get pulled further from the basket to hedge there. And he has a little bit of trouble in those two-on-one situations when he has to defend the role man and the guard. So you might want to see how they handle Nurkic and if Miles can hit those shots. I mean, Right now, he's still out with a wrist injury, so by Thursday, he might not be in the lineup. So that's another thing that could be a big determining factor. So with all the, again, back back to the changes that took place on the offseason, when LaMarcus Aldridge left Portland, they kind of threw together this whole brand-new cast, and a lot of people felt like that that team went on to overachieve, um, you know, behind Damian Lillard. How do you feel like the the Pacers have been doing this year considering such a, a big piece went away? Do you feel like they're achieving right on? Do you think they're overachieving with a little chip on their shoulder because, you know, they didn't have Paul George anymore? How are things going in that respect? Oh, I think, I think they far out 
exceeded everybody's ex- expectations. I think at the beginning of the year, I would have been really surprised if they made the playoffs or even been in like right now they're in eighth. I would have been surprised if that would have happened at any point in the season, just because I expected the defense to have such a drop off and the, and the defense is still, like I said, pretty porous, but offensively they've made enough of a jump that the offense has been better this year than it was last year, even with Paul George in the lineup, simply because they have more shooters. I mean, last year's roster, I think, the Pacers had six players on last year's roster who are no longer even in the NBA anymore. Wow. You know, (laughs) like, like Monte Ellis, for instance, like last year in the playoffs, Paul George was constantly facing double teams and getting overloaded on because Monte had injuries and it it just became kind of sad with him and they just ignore him in the corner. Like they just use Kevin Love or LeBron to roam off of him. And now this year it's a lot harder to do that against Victor Oladipo because they have Bogdanovich out there. They have Darren Collison. They just have more people that can shoot. They don't take a lot of threes, but they take high quality ones and it makes it harder for teams to do that. Though I think some teams are starting to hard show on Victor a little bit more than they were at the start of the season. Now we're we're talking about the Pacers being Blazers East, and it's it, we've gotten this far without actually mentioning a di- direct lineage Blazer in uh, Baby Sabonis <laughs> in Demonis. Um, obviously, Victor's getting all the pub because of his his play. I mean, the numbers he's putting up are, are no joke, Brandon Roy esque twenty twenty four five and five, or you know those are Hall of Fame caliber numbers if you're able to put those up for um, a run of years. So if, if Oladipo is in fact this player. He's he's on well on his way, um, but Sabonis has quietly been huge uh, in in the sense of um, again getting the opportunity to play somewhere and and capitalize on it. He's he's just short of of, of a double double. How much has he meant to this team um, on both sides of the floor? And where do you and the Pacers fans in general where do you guys kind of see him fitting into this team going forward? Right, right. So, I mean, he's a very intuitive screen setter and, you know, he's not his dad, but he's also a very polished passer. At one point, I think behind Darren Collison, he was assisting on more threes than anybody on the roster. And from going from OKC to here, instead of being kind of a makeshift spread for like he was for the Thunder, the Pacers have allowed him to play five. And it's really just having him be more purposely involved in the action. He's really blossomed. And Miles Turner's missed games with a concussion and now a wrist injury. And he's been a starter. And, you know, they haven't necessarily missed too much of a beat. They miss Miles' shooting when he's out. But Sabonis can impact a game in ways that Miles really can't when his shot doesn't fall. And I think long-term they have to look at, can those two play together and not too much self-promotion here, but I have a story on that pinned on my tweet where I kind of looked into that. And I think some of it will depend on Nate McMillan because right now they play together in really small bursts and the offense isn't all that imaginative when they're both playing, they could be running more horn sets and, other, you know, high, low action. And they kind of stick with their normal stuff, even when the two of them are in the game, which is a bit of a problem because neither of them can really close out on shooters if the opposing team is small. But I mean, I think the future's bright with him. I think people didn't expect, I mean, no pun intended, but he's definitely been a Sabonis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) That pun was totally intended. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was. I admit it. Also, self-promotion is totally okay because yeah, you write some really great pieces. Always allowed. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you could take just a minute or two to tell us a little bit about the the work that you do with Indy Cornrows and kind of what your favorite things to write about are and talk about with the Pacers. Right, right. So I like to do a lot of the kind of play analysis breakdowns. And like that piece I just mentioned was probably that one was close to me because that was actually the 450th article that I did at Indy Cornrows and kind of did that for a Black Friday article. So if people want to get a little bit um, sneak peek of some of the stuff I do, I think that's a pretty good one to look at. I mean, I just like looking at play sets because I don't report directly from the arena. I think you know, watching the games, you can break that down a little bit easier when you don't necessarily have the context from what the players have said about the games. And so, yeah. Have you had a chance to watch much film with the Trailblazers and their play sets? And do, you, or do any of them really stand out to you? Right. So I'm actually a little bit interested to hear this from you guys. Like the offense, you know, I, I'm very surprised that Portland's defense is what it is this year. Like I didn't, I didn't expect, you know, Lillard and McCollum to be able to, for both of them to be in a lineup for for the defense to be better. But it seems like the offense has taken a drop off. I, I've, I watched them play the bulls when Lillard was out and I watched them play. Uh, who was it this past week, but the offense doesn't quite seem like it's functioning to the same extent that it was last year. I mean, it seemed a little bit more imaginative with some of the flare screens and, and, and drift sets they would use. Is that just because they have Evan Turner and Amino in the starting lineup? So they don't have as much shooting or what do you guys, Dan, you go ahead, Dan, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the crux of the issue is that, where a few years ago Portland had the market cornered on shooting, um, they really only have two. I think you can you can safely say three now. Aminu's actually, I think, to the point where he's demonstrated he's effective enough as a floor spacer that you can't you can't leave him. But Portland still features um, Maurice Harkless and Evan Turner. Harkless less so this year, uh, but there's just, there's too many negative floor spacers on the team um, for. Uh, the dribble handoffs and the flow offense, the pistol action, all, all that stuff to really um, get the looks that Portland's gotten in the past. Um, I would say it was super crowded at the beginning of the season before yeah. people started to spend, spend a little bit more time paying attention to Minu and Pat Connaughton. They now demand a little bit more attention, yeah. so there's a little bit more room. So that probably contributes some, I think. I'm but um, no, I think you're spot I don't on. Know I mean, that's as far as as far as gravity goes. Um, those guys are opening things up a bit more. And something Tara and I were talking about before we hopped on with you is that um, over the last well, since the beginning of the year, really, uh, Portland's offense is is a top five unit, while their defense has dropped back down to the bottom third. And that's <laughs> which was exactly uh, opposite of what it was at the beginning of yeah. the season. And, and a lot of that is due to, and it's not because Damian Lillard is out. Cause there's, there are people here who think that the, the team is a better team without Damian Lillard, in which point I will say you are crazy and I will absolutely oh, devalue oh anything that you say at that point. <laughs> but there are guys that are forced to step up. Uh, Maurice Harkless, who was a negative contributor for the vast majority of the season is 11 of 19 from three since, since uh, Dame went down. Like a, a guy who was a negative shooter is now shooting over 50% from three in it with enough volume to justify a defender not having both feet in the paint. I mean, there were times the, earlier this season where I'll, I'll, I'll always go back to this example because it's kind of burned into my head. The Blazers are on a road trip in Philadelphia and Evan Turner's in one corner, Maurice Harkless is in the other. 
Ben Simmons is quote unquote guarding Evan Turner with one foot in the paint. <laughs> there, there's just there's no world that exists where Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum can be effective, where there's four guys basically playing you know a box and one on Damian Lillard. There's, yeah. there's, there's no amount of talent that allows that to excel, and to see that that role reversed just by the, the sheer uh, fact that they are knocking down shots is a little bit encouraging. I, and I think one of the other things that Portland has seen more recently is the emergence of um, Shabazz Napier, which reminds me of another uh, question for you, Caitlin. Are so who are some of the maybe lesser known players on the Pacers that, you know, people close to the team really know and love really well, but some people outside of the area might not know as much and that we should watch for. Well, Lance Stevenson's pretty beloved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's just always doing crazy stuff. But like here in this last game against the Cavs, you kind of see what his value yes. can be when, I mean, outside of the LeBron stuff, like just being able to get into the paint, he's so strong and he can finish at the rim and some just his rebounding. He's just a big fan favorite. And then recently, I think you have to give Corey Joseph some attention because they really, like I said earlier, they really struggle to defend the pick and roll. And Darren Collison is part of that because he just kind of dies on some of those screens. And Corey Joseph is a little bit, yeah, Corey (laughs) Joseph is a little bit of the opposite of that where, you know, he's, he has enough size where they can switch and he's pretty decent at fighting over screens. Sometimes opponents will even set illegal screens whenever he's out there because he can, he really fights over the top and, and when you look at the on off differences, whenever he's in the starting, when he plays with the starters versus when Darren does, I think they only are allowing like 98 points when, when Corey Joseph is in the lineup. So I don't think he's gotten enough t- attention here. So I'm sure people mm-hmm. in Portland probably wouldn't have, have known much about that. And then I think also Bogdanovich, he hasn't shot the ball real well here of late, but he is a big factor in their movement in the half court, just coming off curl cuts when he can't make a three, then he can get to the rim with those. And some of the other stuff they run off pin downs and that they didn't necessarily have last year when they didn't have shoot so many shooters that were capable of doing that. You know, it's just crazy how much both teams have changed because Portland's kind of been a house of horrors for the Pacers the last several years. I looked up this morning. They haven't mm-hmm. won in Portland since 2007-08 when Nate McMillan oh was gosh. still coaching. Yeah. Like, and, and a lot of those matchups, they were <clears> hanging like 120-plus points on the Pacers because I just remember how many threes they ran in. A lot of the time, the Pacers have been on back-to-backs when they get into Portland coming like out of L.A. because they're on West Coast road trips. So they've usually have had a lot of trouble defending them. So we'll see how that goes now that, you know, it's Evan Turner and some of your other negative spacers. Well, and those are the games now, Paul George had, has had, or, or during that, that period, Paul George had some of his best career games on the road. In oh, yeah, that 43-point that game is definitely high on his list. That, yeah. That's probably one of my favorite games he played as a pacer. He took over the entire fourth quarter. I, I was sitting there at the game going, good God, he's going to win this game single-handedly. I mean, that kind of puts in perspective how good Portland has played versus the Pacers on their home floor, which, you know, um, I I don't know how close you follow Portland at home this year. That's that's not necessarily a given this year. Yeah, definitely. I just, I have one last quick question, um, but Dan, if you want to follow it up with another one, but I just want to, I just recall, remembered that Evan Turner did spend what, like a half a season in Indiana? 
Oh, yes. That, and one, one of my theories that Dan and I were talking about earlier is that Evan Turner is somebody who needs time to adjust when he comes into a new situation. Uh, what was the, what were, what do you recall from that short stint that Turner spent in Indiana? <laughs> well, fans here don't remember it that particularly fondly. I think it's part of it is because it was an unpopular trade to begin with because Evan Turner got here via them trading Danny Granger, who didn't look like he had much left to give at that point. But Paul George had a really close relationship with Danny and a lot of the people in the locker room did. And there was questions at that point mm-hmm. of what's going to happen with the chemistry when he goes and then Evan gets here. And with the type of offense they were running at the time, they had Roy Hibbert and David West in the paint. And a lot of Evan's offense is that back down, hit the turnaround jump shot from the mid post area. And there really wasn't a spot for him to thrive doing that. And they didn't play up tempo. So for him to get to the rim, it just really was, he was kind of just a sore thumb. And then defensively, he was a net negative a lot during that time. So Frank Vogel actually didn't play him that much. And the time that he was here to see like kind of what you're saying, like, if he needed more time to gel, that wasn't going to happen that late in the season when the Pacers were up there trying to go back and forth with the Miami heat. And I mean, he didn't even really play in that series when they were in the Eastern conference finals, just because the fit was so awkward. And so, yeah, a lot of fans are not, are not too big of fans of Evan Turner here in Indiana. Yeah. Dan, do you have any more questions? No, I think we, we pretty much hit on the things that I, I really wanted to touch on. Um, the, the Oladipo yeah, that, love is going to be there. The Miles Turner love is going to be there. Um, I'm definitely going to be watching for disrupting the passing lanes. That's a really good, easy thing for me to keep keep an eye out for, to kind of <laughs> whether keep, or not they're being successful. To kind of keep this, this thread going from something we've discussed over the past couple of weeks, um, are, are Pacers fans happy? And this is kind of a, a, a subjective question. Are, are they happy that the team is – perhaps playing better than, than, than expected as opposed to quasi tanking, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. We had to write these are we, I just wrote this mid season review that questioning that exact thing. It was, does it matter if this team's the 2013, 14 Phoenix suns that kind of exceeded expectations. And then the next year after they won 48 wins, they, they only won like 35. So mm-hmm. like how much of this is a mirage and you know, if, if the choice was between whether Oladipo and Sabonis blossom and they get an eight seed or they just miss the playoffs versus they're bad and Oladipo and Sabonis don't blossom, knowing what I know now, I would be happy if they got an eight seed and Victor is what Victor is. Like, I'm not sure at the beginning of the season that would have been my opinion because I don't think I knew that Victor was capable of this, of what he's doing. Of being this like, To this degree... Right. There's, if, there's, if he's there's a difference between great and long, good. Right. If, if he's this all-star caliber player that has this control of his athleticism, that can hit pull-up threes, that can set the pace and transition, and that can draw fouls at the rim, then it's all right if they don't get a good draft pick. Like, at the beginning of the season, seeing what he was in OKC and where he was at, my opinion of that probably would have been the reverse, that I would have preferred that, hey, you know, if they get a, a decent pick, it's all right that they have these these two players and maybe they'll be okay. And, you know, but that would be my opinion. And I'm not sure how much of what the Pacers have done this year is necessarily real just because they still really rely on mid-range shots and their defense isn't great. So on nights when they can't make the few high-quality threes that they do make, sometimes they're in battles of, 
you know, trying to win with making long twos, which isn't mathematically going to work out for them. So there's a chance that some of this hasn't been real. And they, they make, they just thrive on the improbable right now with all these comebacks they keep having, like they just did against the Cavs in that 22 point comeback. So, <laughs> you know, by next year, maybe this isn't what the team is, but I think that Victor Oladipo really is what he's been showing at the first half of this season. So do you think in part that comes from the fact that basically the, the six most valuable players on this roster, give or take are 20, all 25 and younger. Right, right. I mean, that's that's big. It was just like the other night, they were talking about that during the Cleveland Pacer game because, you know, Cleveland's roster is a little bit older. You know, they, they're they bad. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. You know, they got Kyle Korver out there versus, you know, the Pacers, like you just said. You know, their bench is Corey Joseph and Lance Stevenson and Sabonis and TJ Leaf, who's 19 a lot yeah. of the time. So, wow. Yeah, wow. no, there's, there's, I think there's a, there's a stark contrast when people talk about how young Portland is versus how young a team like the Pacers are. Because if you look at the Pacers, their age is going to be skewed by 38-year-old Damian Wilkins, 33-year-old Al Jefferson, 30-year-old Darren Collison, right. 30-year-old Thaddeus Young. Um, the guys that are going to be important to this franchise going forward, you said Leafs 19 or just turned 20. Sabonis is 21. Right. Miles Turner, although it feels like he's been in the league for five years, is 21. Oladipo just turned 25. Like this is a team that is still three years away from you know having their core guys right now in their prime, and I exactly. think that, that, that's a difference between Portland, who has Nurkic, who's already who's you know quote unquote already twenty four, going on twenty five. Dame's twenty five, twenty six. CJ's twenty five, twenty six. Like there's a difference between the youth that the Pacers have and the youth that the Blazers have. Not that the Blazers by any means old. I think it's just a different type of age when you're talking about developing on an NBA uh, life cycle. Well, right. Because just like you said, I mean, Al Jefferson isn't even in their normal rotation unless, you know, miles or Sabonis is out. They waived Damian Wilkins here this week. And, you know, and even with Thad and Darren Collison and Bogdanovich, like you said, there's a good chance those players aren't in their long-term future. I mean, two of them have partially guaranteed contracts that they could potentially shop at the trade deadline or at the end of the year, depending upon what they think the direction of the team is. So their core is definitely, of you know, young and ready to continue growing together, I think. Well, this has been super great to hear all these inside the inside scoop about what to look for for the Pacers. Uh, just to mention, Dan, that um, Nurkic just turned 23 in August, so he's like 23 and a half. Um, okay. But, yeah, so that that about does it. Caitlin, do you want to tell, tell folks uh, how to find your stuff on social media and on the Internet? Right. Uh, Twitter, I'm at C2 underscore Cooper. And then if you just head over to Indy Cornrows, you can usually see my stuff several times a week. So... Hope that some of the Portland readers will want to check some of that out, especially this week when they see each other on Thursday. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, that was cool. We've Jeez. never done that before. And I'm like, 